Thank you for listening to Christ Alone Podcast, where we believe that Jesus lived, died, and resurrected according to the scriptures. Our hope is that God can bless you through this week's episode. All right, welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Angie Ann Stevens podcast. Cross alone, cross alone podcast. All right, good enough. All right, so welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. I'm your host, Stevens. And I'm your host, Angie. Yes. Um, so, uh, again, thank you for joining us. Uh, we apologize for last week, you know, cutting it short. I did have to tend to the baby. Um, but, uh, you know, I, we can never talk enough about Jesus, right? We, we didn't, right. I, I don't think we, we barely even scratched the surface. I mean, right, right now we're just trying to limit ourselves to speaking about evidence um, for it. And, I, and, you know, so some of the evidence that we're going to mention, um, it, even though it's evidence for Christianity as a whole, you have to understand that it's the Bible is the the protagonist of the Bible is Jesus. Um, it is God. So so you know if if we talk about um, some of the evidence for you know for the Bible or for Scripture, um, that that does that is evidence for Jesus because the Scripture specifically talks about jesus so um yeah i, I think we're, we're ready to finally talk about jesus uh i i hope we made it abundantly clear that every christian is called to be an apologist um and mm-hmm. um yeah i think we'll i think we'll leave it at that maybe we'll we'll uh, vi- revisit that you know some other time um but uh but yeah here we are amen all right so uh, let's jump right into it. I mean, do you want to go first or you want me to? Or, um, I mean, we could start. I could start by quoting a uh, gentleman from the university at um, Washington University at St. Louis. Um, his name is Joshua Swamidas, and he wrote an article uh, for Veritas.org. Um, for those of you not familiar with Veritas, uh, Veritas, I believe, is Latin for truth. And so the whole organization of Veritas is dedicated to um, providing truth to to people, to the community. And so uh, maybe if you've listened or watched to some of the debates online on YouTube uh, between Christians and atheists or agnostics, um, all those variations... Uh, you'll find that a lot of them um, are hosted by, uh, you know, by Veritas on a Veritas forum. A lot of times they'll have apologists stand on stage, they'll visit a college, and they'll just have people ask them questions. So um, it's a very, very cool organization, and um, I really enjoy watching what they have to hear. But um, to quote this gentleman, um, he says, um, without the physical resurrection 2000 years of history are left begging 
for explanation. Like a movie missing a key scene, no other event in all recorded history has reached so far across national, ethnic, religious, linguistic, cultural, political, and geographic borders. The message spread with unreasonable success across the world. During just the first few centuries, it spread without political or military power, prevailing against the ruthless efforts of dedicated, organized, and violent opposition. How did a small band of disempowered Jews in an occupied and insignificant territory of ancient Rome accomplish this unequaled act? What happened so many years ago that reframed all human history? I think that's a pretty interesting statement. I mean, yeah. And it's true. How do we account for that? Uh, for me, like for me, I mean, hearing that, it just reminds me, and, and we've probably mentioned it before, um, but it reminds me of that chapter in Acts where, you know, uh, you know, the, the gospel is starting to spread and, and these uh, uh, Pharisees are like, what, you know, what, what do we do? And one of them is like, you know what, let it, let it be if it's, if it's legit. I mean, if it's not legit, it's going to die out. Like we had a religion pop out a little bit yeah. ago and you saw what happened with that. It just, it came to nothing. But if it's legit, if it's got, if it's God's, then no one's going to stop it. Um, and that's what, you know, that's what ultimately ended up happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, again, so what, what are some of the um, evidences that we have for Jesus? Um like I said earlier, you know, this is this this is all this is all talking about the same thing here. Um, and I could I could name off a bunch. I have probably two dozen um, sources of evidence. Uh, I don't think that we'll be able to talk about all of them. Um, maybe just one dozen. <laughs> no, maybe we'll talk about the important one uh, here. The one that I think is one of the most significant ones. But let yeah. me let me read off. Let me read off. Uh, I'm going to try and read them off real quick just so that people have reference and they can, if they choose to, um, they can research this for themselves. So I'm going to read what the find, what the evidential find was. And then I'm going to say, uh, you know, when and where it was discovered. Um, so we have um, Taylor Prism was discovered in 1830. In Nineveh, Iraq, uh, House of David inscriptions were discovered in 1993 to 94 uh, in Tel Dan, Israel. Cylinder of Nabonidus was discovered in 1854 in Ur, Iraq. Can I just pause you to clarify? So you're reading off um, uh, secular writings that talk about jesus's life that he existed um i i guess i don't know uh, there i wouldn't call them secular i would say more archaeological finds that's what these are so these are archaeological finds um i think to, but, to determine if they're secular or not we would have to then explore those but that's why i'm giving these so that people could do the homework for themselves but um hmm. so they talk about what exactly just so Jesus. That, again mm -hmm. we don't have time to get all into all 
all of that. But basically, if I was to tell you, for example, the cylinder, which is the one I just read, cylinder of Nabonidus discovered in 1854, uh, cor corroborates Belshazzar as the last king of Babylon, as it is mm -hmm. recorded in Daniel. And so uh, what, what we can tell from these is that they, they are things that have been discovered that corroborate scripture. So I guess, I guess it is secular because it's mm -hmm. not part of scripture. Um, what, I, what I don't know is who discovered it. So that's why, that's why I'm providing the, the find so that you know, if people are really interested in this, they can kind of just go over it. So because I, I, think, I think the important one that I want to talk about, I think is more than enough. But, but just to give people an idea uh, of, of you know, how much evidence there is that corroborates scripture. So I've, I've named off three so far. Uh, we also have the Sargon inscriptions. Um, again, a lot of these confirm what, what it's naming itself. So, for example, for the Sargon inscriptions, it's confirming the existence of Sargon, king of Assyria, uh, mm -hmm. which is talked about in Isaiah 20, um, as well as the conquering of Samaria, which is talked about in 2 Kings. So this is all in line with scripture and, and, and with biblical writing right mm -hmm. so so this is giving us a better idea that hey maybe the stuff that was found the bible that was written you know thousands of years ago or, or over over a thousand years thousands of years maybe there's validity to this because it it coincides with actual historical uh, evidence right so we got sargon inscriptions those were discovered in 1843 in Khorsabad, Iraq, uh, Tiglath uh, Pileser III inscriptions were discovered in 1845 to 1849 in Nimrud, Iraq. S uh, the Cyrus Cylinder was discovered in 1879 in Babylon, Iraq. Black Obelisk of Shalmanzer, Shalman, uh, I don't know how to say this, Shalmaneser, okay. Black obelisk of Shalmaneser was discovered in 1846, also in Nimrod, Iraq, and that uh, depicts Jehu, son of Omri, oldest known picture of an ancient Israelite. So um, that, I don't know where, I don't know Jehu. Have you heard of that guy? I don't know who I that have. is. You have? I have, but I don't remember who he okay, is. Okay, but, but it is in scripture? Yeah. Okay. See, I didn't know that. Um. Moabite stone. <laughs> you're you're like Jehu. <laughs> I was like Jehu. <laughs> All right. Uh, Moabite stone discovered in 1868 in Palestine corroborates Second uh, Kings three. And again, uh, you know the the Book of Kings talks about all these different kings that you know existed throughout time and so on. Uh, Ketav. Uh, the dis the find is uh, Ketav Hinnom amulets discovered in 1779 in Jerusalem. Um, they contain the Hebrew text of Numbers, uh, chapter six, 24 to 26, and Deuteronomy chapter nine, verse seven. This is the oldest instant to date of Hebrew text of the Old Testament, seventh to sixth century BC. Okay, we're talking <laughs> talking a long time ago here. Um, uh, let's see. So over 2000 years ago, 
Uh, Seal of Baruch, early to mid-1970s, was discovered in Jerusalem. Epic of Gilgamesh, I think more people are familiar with that. Epic of Gilgamesh was discovered in 1853 in Nineveh, Iraq. It's the first extra-biblical find that appears to reference the great flood of Genesis 7 and 8, 7 to 8, chapter 7 to 8. Um, Weld Blundell Prism uh, was discovered in 1922 in Babylon, Iraq. Um, that contains a list of Sumerian kings that ruled before and after the Great Flood. The kings that predated the flood are attributed enormous lifespans reminiscent of, though greater than, the lifespans of pre-flood inhabitants of the Bible. So right there, I find that pretty interesting because... Here's some evidence that corroborates that people lived a very long time. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, the Siloam inscription was discovered in 1880 in Jerusalem. Uh, the Gedaliah seal was discovered in 1935 in Lachish, Israel. Um, the Pilot Stone inscription was discovered in 1961 in Caesarea Marit Maritima. Um, and that confirmed the existence and office of Pilate, which is the one who crucified Jesus. So that's an important one. Mm -hmm. um, so then we have the Delphi or Gallio inscription, which was discovered in 1905. Uh, the Caiaphas ossuary was discovered in 1990 near Jerusalem. And if you read scripture, you'll, I mean, you should know who Caiaphas was. He was a prophecy. I mean, a prophecy, uh, <laughs> a Pharisee. <laughs> wow. What, right? Was he a Pharisee? I don't know how uh, you got to a prophecy. Wow. Okay. Oh, man. Anyways, confirmed Caiaphas's existence. Um, another biblical character there. Um, Ser Sergius Paulus' inscription was discovered in 1877 in Paph Paphos, Cyprus. Um, and Let's see. Pool of Siloam was discovered in 2004 in Jerusalem. It is the, this is the site of Jesus' miracle recorded in John 9, 1 through 11. Um, skeleton of Johannan, discovered in 1968 in Jerusalem. Um, it's the, get this, it's the only known remains of crucifixion victims. Uh, corroborates the Bible's description of crucifixion. That is extremely important. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called the skeleton of Johannan. I know you're writing some of these down, right? Of course. <laughs> All right. Uh, then we have Ryland's papyrus, P52, discovered in 1920. Um, and it's the oldest universally accepted manuscript of the New Testament, a small fragment of John's gospel, dated by Piperologist to AD 125. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Then we have Bodmer Papyrus II, discovered in 1952 in Pabao, Egypt. And uh, it says it contains most of John's gospel and dates from AD 150 to 200. Magdalene Papyrus, 1901, uh, discovered in Luxor, Egypt. Contains fragments of Matthew uh, and has been dated as being earlier than A.D. 70. 
though there is a debate concerning the date. So as as I mean, as we know, if Jesus was crucified around what thirty three A.D. A.D. thirty three, mm-hmm. um, that's still uh, you know uh, within the first four decades uh, of the crucifixion. And if you study history, you know that the closer that a document is to the actual event or person, uh, the the more um, likely it is to be true. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll explain later why that is important. Uh, then we have Chester Beattie Pap- Papyri, uh, acquired in 1931 to 35, to 1935 in Cairo, Egypt. Uh, and that contains most of the New Testament uh, and Codex Vaticanus in the Vatican Library in the Vatican's library, I guess, discovered in the Vatican library's earliest, uh, dated A.D. 325-50, to 50 and contains a nearly complete Bible inventory. Uh, Codex Sinaiticus, discovered in 1859, Mount Sinai, Egypt. Um, 7Q5, Oh, by the way, the Codex Sinaiticus uh, contains, it's a codex containing nearly the complete New Testament and over half of the Old Testament. The books at the beginning of the Bible appear to have been lost to damage, and that is dated A.D. 350. Now, notice how some of these discoveries are getting further and further away from the, from the um, crucifixion, but mm-hmm. I'll also explain why that is important and relevant uh sq5 was discovered in 1955 in qumran israel and uh it's a fragment of of the book of the gospel of mark and it can be dated no later than ad 68 which would make it the oldest extant new testament fragment if confirmed um then lastly we have galilee actually no we have one more after this but galilee boat discovered in 1986 near Tiberias, Israel. Uh, And this boat is approximately 30 feet by 8 feet and held approximately 15 passengers and would be like the boats Jesus' disciples used in crossing the Sea of Galilee. Carbon-14 dating places the boat between 120 B.C. and A.D. 40. Nice. (laughs) That is uh, crazy. That's 160 years. Um... I mean, there's a, it's a 160-year discrepancy, but that's still, yeah. I think, pretty significant. And the, the I think, one of my favorite discoveries is the Dead Sea Scrolls. These were discovered in 1947 through 1956 in Qumran, Israel. And they provide the oldest copies of almost all the books of the Old Testament and confirmed reliability of the transmission process. So why is this important? Um, Wait, really quick. Do you have, uh, like, what, um, from what time period are the Dead Sea Scrolls? Um, I don't have that information, um, but it has uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. I know it had, it had um, copies of, I had a full copy of, um, Isaiah 
Um, so from from all these discoveries, mainly the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, uh, the historians and people that study the, these scholars, they have determined that we pretty ma pretty much have uh, a ninety nine point nine 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 percent accurate Bible mm -hmm. based from these copies. Even though we don't have the original text, this is where the copies and copies and copies come into play, right? Um, mm -hmm. when, and that's when, that's also to mention that the the very 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 significantly no, significantly small amount that is different it doesn't change the meaning um, right. of any of the so, text. So yeah, so so there they they did find within these copies small variants in like you know words here and there, but it did not change the significance of of the of the chapter the you know what what the context of what was being written um so nothing like what uh you know joseph smith's you know translation of the bible did where it changed the words that redefined the nature of jesus that's completely mm -hmm. different so you know um none of these copies did that um so they 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 didn't um they all aligned perfectly with mm -hmm. each other and um just just to to give people um an idea of why i was saying earlier that the importance of you know copies being found you know uh to be dated 350 years and getting further and further away is that you know when you play when you play telephone right it, it it's a fun game to play because the message that starts I mean, you're sitting right next to the person. The person is telling you exactly what they heard, but yeah. it's changing. The message always changes, right? And so, and so, when you look at the Bible, it's nothing like that because um, when they study these texts that of these copies, like I said earlier, they all match. They all say the same exact thing in terms of uh, context and content. Um, even though, like I said earlier, there might be some small variations in words, those variations in words might not, um, uh, will not, do not, um, change the significance of what was being written. And so when you look at copies that were written 380 years after the crucifixion, and you look at the earliest copies that were written you know closer to the crucifixion at least in the in the context of the crucifixion they they all align and so that's why you know they find these to be accurate eyewitness eyewitness accounts of the events that took place that's why that's important now some of the other books like isaiah i mean they're probably 1500 plus years old because these mm -hmm. are books that were written hundreds of years before jesus and why is that important? Because Old Testament, New Testament, no matter where you go in Scripture, it's it all points to Christ. It all points to Christ. And, you know, I think we read it last time, right? Isaiah 53 specifically talks about the crucifixion. This is mm -hmm. a, a prophecy that was happening. Now, when, when we look at the story of Jesus, you think, well, you know, obviously Jesus knew what the prophecy was, so he submitted himself to fulfilling that prophecy because he knew what was going to happen. 
and and uh like you know like getting on the donkey and entering jerusalem mm-hmm. uh, and being born of a virgin being born of a being virgin. born in bethlehem exactly exactly <laughs> so all these very like he met every single prophecy to the t and you know you might argue well of course you know if if somebody wanted to pretend to be the messiah uh yeah they would have to go through all these things and maybe some of these things we might be able to withstand but going yeah. through a crucifixion i mean if you're not the messiah why would you go through that right yeah. um and the- there's just there's just things that are too specific i think i've mentioned it before but like i, I remember reading uh and i want to say it's in isaiah um where it specifically says that he's sold for 30 coins for 30 shekels. I'm like, what? That's exactly what he sold for by yeah. uh, Judas. And it's just this, there's too many similarities, things that he wouldn't, even if he want, you know, he wouldn't be able to, con- you know, be able to manipulate or fabricate. Yeah. So, so what we have here is just to, again, to kind of summarize this is that we have a, um, a span of years of composition and oldest copies, right? Um, so we have the New Testament that was written at max 50 years after the crucifixion, meaning that people were still alive that would, that would know, hey, this really happened or it didn't. The, the resurrection, there was witnesses that Paul talked about, 500, right? Plus yeah. others. And, and it's like, and it wasn't just people that already followed Jesus. It was people that didn't. The, the conversion of Paul. I mean, Paul was um, persecuting Christians. He was killing mm-hmm. them. He was obeying the law. He was a prominent Jew. He knew the law. He had, he had it all. Right? Yeah. In, in, the, in, the, in the sense of, you know, he was well off, right? Uh, social class, everything. Uh, he was tasked with, hey, this is the law, go, fu- go fulfill this law or execute the law. And he was killing Christians left and right, left and right. And you have to ask yourself, what happened to this guy to make him do a complete 180 and then turn around and then spread the gospel? He went from, you know, trying to eliminate people from spreading the gospel to joining the team, essentially and spreading the gospel and being one of the most uh influential uh evangelists of any time mm-hmm. and and um and so again so so we have for the new testament the earliest the earliest we have i mean the it says new testament the max span of years uh between the composition and the oldest copy is 50 that's the max uh for homer's iliad which is some other documents that corroborate the historicity of some other big names i don't know exactly i think some of these include uh like uh, julius caesar some of the some of the you know people that we know alexander the great stuff like that all right. Well, we have Homer's Iliad, where the span uh, of between composition and oldest copy is 500 years. For the Plato Tetra, Tetra, 
tetralogies, Plato tetralogies. We we know that Plato wrote a lot, and a lot of people, uh, you know, follow his teaching. And for that, there's thirteen hundred years. For Aristotle, any single work of Aristotle, we have fourteen hundred years, and this is stuff that people swear by. Mm-hmm. So, so we're taking something that's fourteen hundred years from its, you know, uh, oldest composition, right? Right. Yeah. I'm looking for corroboration. <laughs> so we're looking for for something that was composed fourteen hundred years uh, after the fact, and we're saying, "Oh, this is cool. This is true. This right. is this is true." But something that was written within the fifty years. We're like, oh, this can't be true. No way. Come yeah. on. Come on. Um, the other thing is that from the New Testament, we have over 5,600 manuscripts that have, disco- that have been discovered. Mm-hmm. Over 5,600. Homer's Iliad, 643. Plato's Tetralogies, 49. Aristotle, any of his work? Seven. What? I and that's that's what's crazy to me. You know that that we take we take all of these other uh, writings and we're like, oh yeah, that's that's for real right there. Yeah. <laughs> but but Jesus, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. So, so so what's that? And we have, there's just so much, like you said. So the fact that they were written such a, a close time period from when Jesus lived and, and died and resurrected. Um, the fact that there's thousands of manuscripts saying the exact same thing and the difference is very minuscule. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, like we mentioned earlier, all the list of the list, which I know is, um, is endless that you started off of outside sources that corroborate the very same things that the Bible says. Yeah. And so, and so like, like the other thing too, is like, we're, we're taking these and we're, we're in a sense, when we take, take these, we're validating the authenticity or the authority of these manuscripts. And it's interesting to me, increasingly interesting that we will take Aristotle's work, Plato's and whoever else's, and say, oh man, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, I'll buy that. But, but we won't. And even though we understand that the closer that something written is to the person and or the event, the more truthful it is. Mm-hmm. So by that logic, the New Testament holds more truth. Or, or if if there was a line of you know, a spectrum of, of truth and not truth or truth and a lie on the, on that spectrum, on that chart, the new Testament is way, way closer to the truth than, than any of these other manuscripts. And it's not by a little bit, it's by a long shot. Mm -hmm. So, and this is, so this is archeological historical evidence of the Bible and the scripture. And when you remove all your preconceived notions about what you think you know, 
for what you think you believe and you just follow the evidence, then you you don't have a choice. Um I let me see if I could find this. I I quoted a a gentleman here um who let me see, let me get there first. I quoted a gentleman here who who talked about uh you know following the evidence and this is what he said. Um, no, this is not it. I don't think. Maybe it See, is. If you're, if you're using more than 10% of your brain, you'd be <laughs> Here it right. Is. Here it is. Anthony Flew. So we have, well, I have two. I have um, Alexander Vilenkin. Um, and for those who don't know, Alexander Vilenkin is someone who fought very hard to refute that the universe had a beginning, uh, but he submitted to the evidence and eventually conceded by saying, it is said that an argument is what convinces reasonable man, reasonable man, and a proof is what it takes to convince an unreasonable man. With the proof now in place, Cosmologists can no longer hide behind the possibility of a past eternal universe. There is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Now, again, we're not talking about cosmology or anything like that, but I'm just making a point here that he followed the evidence, even though mm -hmm. he was reluctant to. Now, we also have Ant Ant Anthony Flew. He's a, a, he was a world-famous English philosopher uh, belonging to analytic and evidentialist school of thought. So this was a man that was only, uh, basically, he's like, I need the evidence. For whatever it is, I need the evidence, right? So I'm yeah. going to ask, I'm going to ask if we take a quick break. What? Why? <laughs> There's someone at the door and I need to, I need to get it. All right. Well, I'm going to keep talking. Just mute me because... Um, I don't know if we can do that right now. Okay, go. All right. So anyway, so, so Anthony flew, um, you know, he was basically basing everything off evidence and, you know, being analytical about it all. And so he said, uh, let's see, uh, he was also an atheist for most of his life, by the way. And then he wrote a, he co-wrote a book that was called, there is a God. And uh, because he he did not have a choice when he followed the evidence and his quote famously reads, when I finally came to recognize the existence of God of a God, it was not a paradigm shift because my paradigm remains. We must follow the argument wherever it leads. So in essence, he's saying we must follow the evidence wherever it leads, regardless of how we feel about it. So, again, uh, super interesting to me that, that that's not what people do now, you know? We, we, we ask for the evidence, and then we, um, we don't follow it. Or yeah. we, we stop when it brings us to a place of, I, I don't want to go there, or I'm not ready to go there yet. And I think... Like we said before, I think a big part of that is we don't want to be held accountable to to God. We we like the life that we live. We like the sinful life that we live. 
We like having sex before marriage. We like, uh, you know, getting drunk. We like partying. Mm. We like, you know, in, in that sense, to live our life, so to speak. And, uh, and uh, it's interesting to me that they see submitting yourself to, to, I guess, any religion or any God, but maybe more specifically to Christianity and the God of the Bible as maybe some sort of imprisonment because you have mm -hmm. to submit and give up all these things. But honestly, it's, it's, it's the opposite of that. Yeah. It, it gives you freedom. It gives mm -hmm. you freedom from sin. And I, I think it's, it's immeasurable, the, the joy that it brings to know that you don't have to worry in a sense, right? Because yeah. you can submit to God and now God is going to be on the hook for everything. Yeah, because I mean, people, I, people in the world are, uh, think with the quote unquote wisdom of the world and they see sin as a freedom. But in reality, the Bible tells us that it's, it's a bondage there, that they are bound to it. They're imprisoned by it. Um, but it's through Christ that we can, like you said, have freedom in that, have freedom from that. Yeah. 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 So here's something else that's interesting. Uh, that the gentleman from Veritas.org, uh, Mr. Joshua Swamidas, says, um, and I'm going to, I'm just going to read what he wrote here um, pertaining to some of the manuscripts. Um, the early accounts of the resurrection and prophecies predicting it were reliably transmitted through history. As of, 2004, as of 2014, more than 66,000 early manuscripts are known. Orders of magnitude more than other ancient texts. Many are carbon dated to before Jesus' time on earth and the first few centuries after. We see accounts nearly unaltered in the earliest manuscripts. A pattern of consistency emerges. There are variations in, manuscript, in the manuscript, but nothing invalidates the reliability of the resurrection accounts. I mean, he's just pretty much reiterating what we've already said here. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we have to conclude, right? Um, number one, the, the Bible is accurate historically, and that's proven archaeologically, right? Mm -hmm. And also, that proves that Jesus was a real person. And if, number one, if Jesus was a real person, and what the Gospels say about Jesus is true and the rest of the Bible for that matter, then we have to take it serious because mm -hmm. Jesus Christ very adamantly admitted to being God. Right. So, there, I mean, that says something. I, I don't know how else, to, how else to put it. How would you put it? 
I mean, yeah. I mean, he, what what, he, is, what is your closing argument, so to speak? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I feel like that's, uh, whole, honestly, I feel like that's a whole different topic. <laughs> Jesus saying that he was God. Um, but, I mean, we were mainly talking about today the reliability of the Bible, which obviously then points to Jesus, uh, life, death, and resurrection. So, I mean... It's it's reliable, like you said. It's more reliable than any other type of uh, writing that we have. Um, that we, you know, all these other writings we follow by, blindly, um, and we should, we we should we first we shouldn't follow anything blindly. Yeah, um, or agree. believe that anything existed bl- blindly. And go ahead. And and, and uh, you know, we we have there's proof. There's there's too much evidence that shows that you know what the bible has the bible that we have is the original text and that it holds true yeah yeah here's the other thing too for me what's doing it for me and uh, and again i i would say i would say that it, it it would be increasingly it's getting increasingly closer to impossible for me to just i mean i don't know i guess i can say it's impossible because i've i've I I know God on a personal level. I like I don't have to I don't have to give anybody proof for my mother. I don't have to give anybody proof for her existence. I know her. Mm-hmm. I know who she is. I don't have to give anybody evidence for the existence of my wife. I know her. I know what she's about. And I know she's real. And yeah. the same way I know who Jesus is. I'm getting to know him more and more, but I know who he is. And like I said, it, it, it would, it, the evidence would just have to negate everything that I, that I know. Yeah. Um, there's a very good book called um, Cold Case Christianity. For those of you interested, it's written by J. Warner Wallace, and he's uh, an, an investigator of over 25 years he's a cop right um and he he's worked on many cold cases and you know if you know anything about uh cold cases you know that they are cases that were never solved um you can't close a case unless it's solved and um and so when you investigate a cold case a lot of the times a case that's 30 plus years old you you sometimes can't interview the witnesses mm-hmm. because they're dead. So you can't interview the witnesses. So what you have to do in that case is go to the original testimony, go to the original evidence and look at it as a whole because one single piece of information is probably not going to be enough mm-hmm. or else the case would have been closed. But you have to go back and then determine, okay, based on all of this testimony, and maybe potentially some new evidence that that occurs or that that is found can we close this case and many many times that's what happens there's a team that's assigned to cold cases and their job is to close these cases and many times with the help of different technology science um uh, forensics and, and all that stuff they they determine that hey um, there's there's enough information in here to to get a conviction, and they do. 
and they close the case. And so what this gentleman does is he does that for for Christianity. So and how it started is, you know, he was an atheist for most of his life. And um, if I remember correctly, because I'm not done with the book, if I remember correctly, he goes back and he says, you know what, um, I'm going to take a look at the life of Jesus because, you know, he, you know, whether he's real or not, I think he lived a very exemplary life within the context that it was written in, right? And so whether it's true or not, I'm going to take a look at Jesus's life and and see how it, you know, how maybe I could apply some of these teachings to my life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he started reading the Gospels. And when he started reading the Gospels, his thought was. How great would it be if this was true? So this is where his mind is taking him. I mean, we know it was the Holy Spirit taking him Mm -hmm. that way, but he, you know, He's like, man, how wonderful would it be if, if if Jesus really existed, and if and if he really existed, if what he said was really true, and so he decided to take the same techniques that he used to solve cold cases to the crucifixion and to Christianity, and he he understood, like many of us, that Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection so he went on this journey like many others before him to see to follow the evidence and to make up his mind on whether there was enough evidence to close this case or not and so that's what the book you know takes you on his is it takes you on the journey that he took to to discover that he could no longer hold to his atheism and so, so far, it's an incredible story. Um, but he breaks down the different text, techniques that he uses. And just from that, he shows um, how you can tell that what was written is a true testimony. Mm-hmm. He breaks it down completely. And so, you know, it's a, it's a good book to read. So whether you believe or you don't believe, I recommend that book. It's called Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace. Um, and and here's why I think you should read it even if you don't believe. I've 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 gone on somewhat of a, a of a skeptic journey myself, and I've you know gone and reevaluated Christianity, um, just just for for myself. I've reevaluated reevaluated Christianity, and then not only that, but I've also I also dove into opposing worldviews because I can't I can't stand here and try to I guess in a sense sell Christianity to somebody if I don't understand you know why they're opposed to it. And so I've been reading, I think I mentioned last time I finished the the uh God Delusion, God Delusion. By, by Richard Dawkins. I finished that. Um I also read um Sam Harris is another atheist. I read his short book uh called Letters to a Christian Nation, Letter to a Christian Nation. Um and you know, and both of these guys are huge advocates against religion in general, but more Those specifically Those two you said you got from the library, right? Yeah. But more okay. specifically, 
they're against Christianity more than any other religion. Now, again, that's 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 another thing to look at. Why why are why is there seemingly more people against Christianity than any other religion? Mm -hmm. That's a question to be asked. Uh, you know, Christianity is exclusive in its claims. And, you know, I think we've talked about those already. Um, but I think we're going to end with a C.S. Lewis quote because I love C.S. Lewis. And this talks about, um, you know, pretty much the core of what we've been talking about. And he says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, it is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So <laughs> it, it's important. Yeah. It's important. Yeah, I was going to say earlier, it's just, it's just so easy. And again... Um, just, it's, it's easy to hear about apologetics and all that and, and say, well, I don't, this doesn't matter to me, or I don't care to know if God exists or if he doesn't, you know, like we said, uh, you know, I'm good where I'm at, but it's exactly what C.S. Lewis said. It's, <laughs> it's either not important at all, or it's super important. There's no, yeah, there's, there's no, no in between. Uh, yeah, there's no in between. So it's like you, we gotta we gotta look at the information. We gotta figure out where is it that we stand, and be able to stand there firmly. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for today. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, and uh, I guess we'll see you next time. Where can they find us? They can find us at ChristAlonePodcast.com. All of our handles are Christ Alone Podcast, except for Twitter, which is Christ Alone Pod. Excellent. You could also reach us by text or voicemail at 407-796-2881. We'd be happy to hear some of your questions, complaints, concerns. If you have prayer requests, we're more than happy to do that. Um, but that's it. That's all. That's all I got. All right. God, God bless you guys. God bless everyone. And uh, see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>